Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Welcome to Bet the Edge. I'm Jay Croucher here with Drew Ginsick, uh, live from Radio Row. Thanks to fill up in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, it was a bit bleak a few hours ago, Drew. It was kind of just me, Matthew Barry, and then some chairs. Uh, more radio column uh, than Radio Row. But uh, it's time to fill up now. Uh, for anyone who hasn't been to Radio Row, it's a very strange place where you're just walking around and you bump into... Uh, someone and you look up and you've just walked into Jonathan Taylor or Debo Samuel, Lane Johnson or whoever. Uh, so it's a very surreal place. Uh, we'll be, I'll be here all week uh, and we'll have some, some great guests, including Sam Monson, who's coming up. But uh, Drew, how's it going? Uh, what are your thoughts on the game right now? Uh, you know, I, I've gotten past my initial thoughts kind of handicap of game state of uh you know different ways to try to attack the game and total market and i'm digging heavily into the uh the props and you know it, i i haven't made the highest plus ev bet i'll make all week that'll come later i'm sure um but uh i like where i'm positioned right now uh, i got a money line on the chiefs that's no longer available uh, i got some fun props in pocket that i'm excited to talk about with you uh and uh, excited to hear where you're leaning on the game because uh you know your read on last year Super Bowl was, I thought, pretty spot on, and so I want to know uh, who to bet for that uh, for that big payoff in the uh, MVP market. Okay, well, as we come back, we've got Sam Monson right here. Very close, mate. Very oh, good. Slide, yeah. Executed to perfection. Yeah, very good. Uh, yeah, logistically, behind the scenes, these chairs are not really conducive to the slide, so Sam's done very well. Um, so, yeah, it's great to have you here, Sam, from PFF, obviously, and... Uh, Let's get straight into it. Drew and I, when the line came out, so the line opened Chiefs minus one and a half, was immediately smashed into Eagles minus one and a half, kind of shades of the Rams Pat Super Bowl where that opened Rams favored. And then within 30 minutes, the global market had bet that to Pat's minus two and a half, and it stayed there. This one is now, it's kind of solidified at one and a half. Do you think the right team is favored? Um, I, I get why they are, but I. I've always felt like leaning in the other direction, though. I, I feel like we're making a lot out of the Patrick Mahomes injury. I think that that's fine. That makes sense. Obviously, the most important player probably in the entire game being less than 100% is a pretty significant data point. But I think we've already seen that it's not enough. You know, Patrick Mahomes even working on 75% or whatever percentage we want to put of it, being full of uh, being fully healthy is still more than capable of just dropping back, carving up a defense and making enough plays for them to win. So I will always start on this 
You got Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey. Those three people are relevant in the game. The Chiefs should be favored. Yeah, and I think on that, I'm not sure if you agree with me on this, but my thought has always been that Mahomes is tier one by himself. What he seems to be the only quarterback in the league who is wide receiver proof relatively sure. in terms of superstars. Uh, obviously, it got a little dicey against Cincinnati when you're not just losing Tyreek Hill, you're losing Juju Smith-Schuster and Michael Hardman and Kadarius Tony, and then there's just nothing left. But he was still able to do enough. And I don't think people necessarily grasp that all the time, that Mahomes is just so much better than everyone else. You look at his numbers in terms of yeah, just EPA per play with him versus everyone else this season, that the gap between him and Jalen Hurts is, is really significant, yeah. particularly if Hurts isn't right. Yeah, and I think the Travis Kelsey thing, like, you know, the Obviously, the Kelseys being in the Super Bowl, playing each other is an amazing story. The fact that Travis Kelsey used to be a quarterback, I think is significant to how he plays the game, and in particular, how he meshes with Patrick Mahomes. It's not just that he's uncoverable and that you can't uh, cover him one-on-one, or you can't bracket cover him because they're going to fit the ball in any way. It's that he sees the game the same way as Mahomes. Like He sees it like a quarterback. And there's so many plays where they make that only the two of those guys are going to make, not because it's anything incredibly special because it required two guys seeing the game the same way and doing something slightly unusual like that sort of stop on the corner route you know in the AFC title game is a play that I think probably only those two guys make not because it was so impossible to do but because it required both those guys realizing hang on it's kind of covered here let's turn it into a stop and that looks like a pitch and catch. Well, the Bills playoff game last year as well on yeah. the, the final two plays seconds. I think are the perfect example of that yeah, this is, this is all this is all still break glass in case of emergency kind of stuff, though. Right. That's assuming that the Eagles show up and give the Chiefs a test and you even have to go there. Um, I'm still I feel. And again, like Jake kind of alluded to it. I am surprised that this narrative hasn't caught in any kind of momentum whatsoever because the data actually looks pretty compelling. Like Hertz is not completing passes at the same level that he was pre shoulder injury. And the last three games, he's come back. His completion percentage over expectation, it's been negative. That is not characteristic of Jalen Hurts' game whatsoever. You look at his entire career, he hasn't had a three-game stretch where he's had negative completion percentage. So I'm, I am very, very surprised people aren't really buzzing more about, is Hurts right? Is he going to be able to answer here? Because, you know, Patrick Mahomes, yes, he's dealing with an injury. It is his secondary or tertiary threat being able to scramble and you know move his legs his arm is just fine if Jalen Hurts is unable to complete passes 20 yards down the field that's maybe the one area that you were a little excited to see if he could you know kind of threaten the Chiefs and so yeah I'm I have heard very little about this uh and I guess is am I making too much of this and do you have you seen any of any of the same stuff in the data with uh, respect to Hurts being you know less than 100 percent right now it's, it's such an unusual thing with Hertz because while he's sort of struggling a little bit relatively passing the ball, he's like throwing his shoulder into linebackers and trying to run over them. It's like, are you injured or are you not? Because the things that you're doing are not the kind of things that injured quarterbacks typically do. So it is weird because like the start of that NFC title game, or actually no, the, the game before that, the game against the Giants, where the first mm-hmm. thing he said before the broadcast was, I am nowhere near 100%. Yeah. And all of a sudden you were like, uh-oh, like if, if Hertz is that bad, you know, and then he obviously they came out and they absolutely smoked the Giants. So it's very difficult to get a read on where exactly Hertz is. Yeah, I don't know if this is a Novak Djokovic hamstring thing. It's <laughs> the whole time. And I think it's quite that level with Hertz because it is weird to your point where 
like he's wincing in ways that he doesn't normally wince when he gets yeah. tackled. And then there was one play in particular against San Francisco where it really looked like he was hurting. And then Sirianni immediately calls like three design runs right. for him, which I don't really understand either when they were at a big lead. But just seems like he didn't have the touch on the deep balls to, yeah. to A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith. But one thing that I think has been building in the uh, the Twitter analysis of this game is that so Hurts, do you think that he's less effective just kind of inherently when he's not playing with a lead? Because there's this idea that uh, he's been playing in positive game script all season. Before this season, he wasn't an elite top mm-hmm. six, seven quarterback in the league. And that because he does have these positive games that teams have to load up to stop the run against Philly, it gets A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith in single coverage, and Hurts has been great at those, you know, those, those go balls. Do you think that's a key thing and that he's, he's not necessarily well positioned to go blow for blow with Patrick Mahomes in a game where the total is 50 and a half? I mean, I think this offense generally functions extremely well with a lead. But the other thing is, we yeah. haven't seen him behind much at all. Yeah. Like, he's 700-plus snaps with a lead this season, by far the most in the NFL. I think it's the most of any team since 2018 or something like that. So, <sighs> I haven't seen many instances where this team has been in a hole and had to try and rescue it or come back or change the entire dynamic. But when they have a lead, that offensive line can start to establish its will. The run game is great, plus what Hurts brings to it. Like They are just set up really well to be front runners. Yep. Yeah, defense too. The wave after wave of pass rusher and you know decent ability to cover. Like you know, you're you're if you're the Eagles, you don't want to be in a game script where you are trying to get the other team off the field to give your offense a chance again. That's where they've been exposed a couple of times, you know. And you know, most notably, I think of uh, the second game against the Commanders and then the game against the uh, the Colts, where it was like literally like, wow, man, are they even going to get another you know chance to score here? And uh, when they did get that chance, it was all run, run, run. They didn't. Even and put the uh, ball in Hertz's hand to to throw, so it was interesting. But um, have you, you know, have you gotten a sense that people are correctly, um, you know, kind of calibrated to how good the Eagles are, considering how soft their schedule has been this year? And has that point been driven into the ground, or is it still relevant, considering that their path, not just through the regular season to the one seed, but particularly in the playoffs, was pretty soft. Yeah, I think it's definitely relevant. The problem is sort of trying to identify just how important it is when you then step up the competition to a team like the Chiefs. Like, the Eagles are obviously a very good team this year. They've done exactly what they were supposed to in terms of annihilating, relatively speaking, an easy schedule. But it does have to have some bearing that they really haven't been tested. The team that was supposed to test them the most, San Francisco, obviously ran out of quarterbacks in that game just gets sort of thrown out the window as something that was that doesn't really mean anything. But, you know, they basically played Dallas a couple of times, San Francisco without any quarterbacks. The Giants obviously were one of those sort of quote-unquote fraudulent teams in the postseason. They haven't faced a team like Kansas City. They, they're not uh, familiar and they're not accustomed to this kind of encounter or what we think we're, we're going to see. Yeah, I think across most sports, uh, generally, like it's underrated that even if you have an easy schedule, if you annihilate everyone, that tends to be just as predictive right. of your overall, I guess, talent level uh, going forward as, you know, beating good teams by three points or whatever. Uh, I do think that maybe the, the niche with this is that the Eagles are so well built to play with a lead in particular yeah. and that they are well positioned to annihilate bad teams better than anyone else. And so I do think, yeah, I just wish that, you know, we've been making the joke all season that, <laughs> 
we would have to wait until the Super Bowl to find out whether the Eagles were any good. And now we're kind of here. And I say that a little facetiously, but at the same time, like it would have been great to have them in a shootout game in week 10 against San Francisco yeah. with Jimmy G or whatever. And it's almost like not even just sort of are they good, but what happens if the script gets away from them? It's not even yeah. like can hang with Kansas City if it's a tight game and they're both sort of playing well. It's what happens if Kansas City blitzkrieg's in the first 10 minutes and they're down double digits. Yep. Yes. Oh. That's right. the game state. You're, you're, that's the game state I'm dreaming for, Sam. Like I, honestly, that it, I'm I can't believe that we're going to go through a whole week of me continuing to talk myself into a position that I am already very satisfied with. But I feel like that's where we're going here because uh, I can't believe that the Eagles are favored in this game. I can't. It's 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 uh, it is amazing to hear people talk themselves into what they like about the Eagles and then not kind of get to the key point of. They have played virtually no quarterbacks this year. None. No quarterback that could put this team under scoreboard pressure. No quarterback that could really ask them to, uh, you know, kind of figure, solve things in game. Like there are a lot of uh, potential issues that could be exposed in this one. And they're all in my mind on the side of the Philadelphia. So we'll see. I guess the most impressive win was beating Minnesota in like week two or three, right? In uh, primetime, that was probably the best one. Uh, And Minnesota. We lost the home playoff game to the Giants. All right, before we get into uh, the <laughs> offensive lines, just a reminder, if you don't have the NBC Sports Predictor app, go download it now. The contests are free and easy to play, and you have a shot to win thousands this weekend by predicting what will happen in the Premier League and college basketball. All right, so Sam, you do the offensive lines at PFF, the grades there. Uh, I mean, these are two of the best offensive lines in football. I think the consensus would be that the Eagles have a superior offensive line, but how, how big is the gap there? The Eagles have had the number one offensive line in PFS rankings, pillar to post. They led the preseason rankings. They were number one every single week of the season. And when they're starting five or out there, there's no weak link. There's not even close to a weak link. I think every single player across the, the five is ranked sixth or higher at their individual positions. Like, not only do they have no weak link, but every single member of the starting five is a top 10 player. Even Lane Johnson going out there, you know, with whatever – uh, hip injury or groin injury he's dealing with is still clearly a superior plus player. The Chiefs offensive line is really good. It's particularly good run blocking, but they do have weaknesses. Like those two tackles in particular, trying to pass block in obvious passing situations, like that's a little bit sketchier in a way it isn't for the Eagles. Yeah. Do you think it's something where I think a lot of people are still flashing back to the Tampa Bay-Kansas City Super Bowl where Mahomes, like, he just didn't have a chance. They never had a prep and the defensive line just annihilated that admittedly really banged up Kansas City right. line. Do you think there's any chance that that type of scenario unfolds or that the KC line is just healthier and better yeah, uh, this I, time around? I mean, they have some problem spots, but I don't think they're going to get overwhelmed the way they were in that game. That, that was a perfect storm of injuries and... You know, when, when Fisher went down, I think, in the AFC title game, it was just like the straw that broke the camel's back and the entire thing collapsed. Yeah. Orlando Brown's not a great left tackle. Andrew Wiley isn't a great right tackle, but they're capable of surviving in a game like that, particularly when the interior is really strong. And, you know, Mahomes might not be able to do what he usually does magic-wise, but he's still capable of helping them out a bit by moving around and manipulating the pocket. So I think it would take something pretty spectacular for that group to collapse the way it did against that makes total sense. Um, you mentioned the injury to uh, Lane Johnson. Obviously, Dickerson went out uh, for a little bit in the game against the Niners as well. Uh, and that is sort of your run-blocking core. 
uh, as far as I can tell you. Like that, that, you know, those guys matter. You're up against a Chiefs team that's anchored by, you know, one of the top three defensive players in the game and in, in Chris Jones. Would you expect that we surprisingly come out of this game with a little bit of a wow? Uh, didn't expect the Chiefs D line to be so effective at really kind of creating some sort of an edge in this one. But here we are. Yeah, I mean, Chris Jones is a fascinating X factor in this game. Um, not just being dominant the way he has been. I think he's got a real defensive player of the year caliber or argument this year. I don't think he'll win it, but I think he's got every bit of as good a case as any of the guys that, that may. Um, but the other thing about Chris Jones is he's got that weird Aaron Donald thing where he does appear to be able to turn it on in the fourth quarter when the game's really on the line. And he decides, now I'm taking over. I forget what the numbers are, but he's got way more sacks in the fourth quarter you know, the dying minutes than any other defensive uh, player in the NFL. If he decides to just show up late in the game when the thing's on the line the way we saw him in the AFC title game, that's a problem. Yeah. Yeah, he will forever go down. Uh, Drew is pumping his fist because uh, we're all over the in that game uh, against the Bengals. And, I mean, that game to me, that against the Bengals, it just felt dumb. Like it felt like Kansas City just could not move the ball because of just the between Mahomes reaggravating the injury and just losing all the wide receivers. It just right. felt like they were on a hiding to nothing. And then Chris Jones makes that one play. I mean, at that point, I think before that play, the Bengals were around minus three hundred live to get to the yeah. Super Bowl. And then all of a sudden it was just that one play. And uh, I think that'll go down in Chiefs yeah. law. Do you think on the Eagles side of the ball, is there one guy in particular you think is primed to have a big game? Or Hassan Reddick has been a popular Super Bowl MVP yeah. bet at fifty to one. He's had, I think, he's had four games this year with multiple sacks and a forced fumble in the same game. Do you think he's someone who could have a big game, or is there someone else you'll? I think he definitely could, particularly when you look at who he's going up against. Hassan Reddick is the type of player that causes sort of average tackles real problems because he's got that special speed and burst off the edge, and he's just an awkward type of pass rusher for those guys to contend with. But I wouldn't overlook the other side of the line either. Like Brandon Graham has had this weird resurgent year out of nowhere when he looked like he was pretty much done. Um, and again, like from a body type standpoint, that guy is a real mismatch problem for somebody as huge and sort of upright as Orlando Brown. So I could see both those uh, edge rushers causing real issues. Mm. Brandon Graham's getting sacks. This no, year? makes no, no sense. sense. Just we, on, our, on our podcast, we have an annual bet every year where Steve thinks that Brandon Graham is going to get double-digit sacks, and I always take the under. And then the one year that he didn't, he decided, <laughs> no, I'm done. I'm out. I'm, it's not happening. I'm done. Brandon Graham is over. And then this is the year he bounces back with sacks. Yeah. Do you think that is a skill thing of like turning pressures into sacks? Because I always look at it like I bet um, I had a big bet on Max Crosby to lead the league in sacks this year at like 35 to 1. Because looking at PFF's numbers right. and his pressures, what do you have, like 101 pressures last season? Yeah. Lap the field. Like guy lapped the field in pressures can't be 35 to 1 to get the sack title. But his sacks, were they went up a little bit this year, but still just doesn't seem like he converts. Doesn't seem like Brandon Graham converts. I mean, Max Crosby had that play against Kyler Murray earlier in the season, which could not get him down. Right. And just seems like, I don't know, it must be a, it has to be a skill, right? I think it is. So I think broad terms, it is. Right? Yeah. Largely, it's noise. Largely, it's way more important to look at the pressure and just the actual production they're getting. But there are definitely players that are on either end of that scale yep. in terms of an actual skill set of converting pressures into sacks. On low end, you've got guys like Brandon Graham, who for whatever reason is never able to convert a particularly large percentage. <laughs> but then you do get guys on the other end of the scale like Chandler Jones, yep. who for an entire career has gotten a disproportionate number of sacks relative to the amount of times he actually wins one-on-one. -on -one. 
So I think there are players that have that skill in, in either direction, but generally it's not really a thing. Vic Baisley was the one, right? He had that one year. Yeah. The and, one that and when, when you looked at his numbers, it was all like clean up or pursuit play. Like there were no wins in yeah. that, that yeah. code. Yeah, and I think there's a, an element of coaching that the Eagles kind of have always, I have always felt at least like, like even going back to the previous regime, they tend to assist each other more in the uh, pressure department, right? It's the guy who's initially getting the, the key win uh, to start the sack isn't always the guy that ends up getting the credit for it when it's all said and done. Um, but I love the, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take a, from this conversation, I'll take away a little Eagles to get the first sack of the game just on the basis of having the better players against an offensive line that's more, more, you know, more, more, more prone to giving up a, kind of a, 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 you know, an, an early sack. And then Chris Jones to have the last sack because I love a guy who, I love a guy who understands leverage and can really flip the switch late. Aaron Donald did it last year in the Super Bowl. He did it in the NFC Championship game. Chris Jones is going to now, he's pulling the repeat. He did it in the NFC Championship game. He's going to do it in the Super Bowl. I love, we'll, we'll love to be a part of that. So, uh, you know, I think, uh, I think we've, uh, we've, we've nailed this one, guys. Okay, done. It's, it's solved. Solved. <laughs> solved. Um, all right. Uh, let's close out because Sam has, has opted out of the Kari Irving chat that will follow this. So uh, just like Kari Irving opted out of the Brooklyn Nets. Um, so we'll close out talking line and total. So the total is 50 and a half right now. Do you think it'll be a high-scoring game? I do. I, I think that there's enough offense on both sides and enough matchup problem players that there's just going to be a baseline of points in this game almost regardless of what happens. Yep. I think uh, I'm leaning that way as well. And I think as well that, like, so many Eagles games have been the total just salts away in the second half because they're able to just run the ball right. and run the ball and Sirianni just kind of downs tools. But I do think that you can't really do that in Patrick yeah. Mahomes, so I do think there will be continued scoring. Uh, Drew, you have a lean on the total right now? You know, it got bet up to 51 today. 51 is my fair, so I think I'm going to be skipping that one. 27-24 um, Chiefs win with a uh, assaulted away Chris Jones game-changing sack to take the Eagles out of game-tying field goal range. Uh, I think we've, uh, I think we, we, we got the script, guys. Yeah, and, uh, and you like the Chiefs to win. And then cover yeah. the plus one. And I half, do, actually. I do. I think that's the right side of that. Okay, very good. We are we are all aligned there. All right. Well, Sam, thank you for your time. No it's, problem. It's uh, at pff underscore Sam mm -hmm. uh, on Twitter. And uh, what are you going to be doing out here all week? We are uh, recording our podcast, the PFF NFL podcast. We're going to be talking to whoever we can corral throughout the week and seeing how we can mash all that together into some form of weekly content. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> very, very good. All right. Well, thank you for your time, Sam. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. Cheers. All right, uh, before we jump into talking, Kyrie Irving and the Dallas Mavericks, uh, just a reminder uh, that we will have live coverage from the Super Bowl in Arizona all week on Peacock, our daily lineup, Dan Patrick Show, 9 a.m., uh, Fantasy Football Happy Hour, 12 p.m. These times are Eastern, uh, PFT Live, 1 p.m., and then Brother from Another at 3 p.m. Eastern. Uh, and if you don't catch it on video, you can always check out the audio version wherever you download and subscribe to your podcasts. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. 
Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. It's time to get your swagger back with PointsBet Sportsbook. New customers can sign up now with the code BETTHEEDGE to get five second chance bets up to $500. That's five straight days of second chances where PointsBet will match your losing wager in free bets. So use the promo code BETTHEEDGE and enjoy more live betting markets than ever before. PointsBet, it's your move. New customers only. Must be 21 plus and present in Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Virginia, or West Virginia. In partnership with Louisiana iGaming LP, DBA Boomtown, New Orleans. Second chance means that if any of your first five cash bets, that is the first bet per day for five consecutive days on a fixed odds market loses, you will receive free bets in the amount of the losing wager up to $100 each. Cash out is not available on all wagers and may not be equivalent to the initial wager. PointsBet can disable or suspend the cash out feature at any time. Additional terms and conditions apply. See the promotions page and terms and conditions section of the PointsBet website app for more details. Void where prohibited. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help in Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, or West Virginia, call 1-800-GAMBLER for crisis counseling and referral services or visit www.1800gambler.net. In Colorado or Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700. In Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. In Indiana, Call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. In Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. In Virginia, call 1-888-532-3500. Gambling problem? Call 877-8-HOPE-NEW-YORK or text HOPE-NEW-YORK. That's 467-369. In New York, call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Pennsylvania, call 1-877-770-STOP. That's 1-877-770-6867. In Louisiana. We're in, uh, we're in Phoenix, Arizona, so what better time to talk about the Dallas Mavericks and Kyrie Irving. Uh, I wasn't expecting this. I thought my money would have been on actually him getting traded to, uh, to about a five-minute walk from me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I thought so, too. Yeah, I thought uh, Paul and Crowder might have been the play. I like what Dallas uh, – I like what Brooklyn got probably more than that just because now there's a bit more – versatility, I guess, franchise-wise in terms of having a bit more youth, not being tied into multiple years of Chris Paul potentially. Uh, And I also I think that they have another move to make. So my question to you, Drew, is who do you think has more of a chance to win the NBA title this year between Dallas and Brooklyn? By the slimmest of hairs, I give it to Dallas. And it's only because the West is so much more winnable. Um, If you if you flip flop and you put Brooklyn in the West, I would say Brooklyn, and I would say Brooklyn convincingly. <laughs> honestly, um, the West is just so much it's so much weaker. And I, you know, I mean, I, if the if the Nets were going to blow it up, 
like I would seriously figure out if we can get a godfather offer for Kevin Durant, send him to the West somewhere. Um, I agreed with you. I thought that the, you know, the um, better home for Kyrie was probably Phoenix. Um, and I honestly, the better home for Durant was probably Dallas. <laughs> so this may be like a little bit of sliding doors. We didn't quite get the, uh, you know, the, the, um, the correct matchups that we needed to really get the most entertaining version of the NBA, but it is what it is. Uh, I, I take the nets from outsiders with a upside. If, Kyrie catches a heater like he did at the end of last season, and he's an offensive, you know, juggernaut uh, combined with uh, you know a healthy Kevin Durant who doesn't have as many miles on him because of this time he's missed through the middle of the season. Then, you know, Nets have a chance. Uh, you know, the you know certainly Kevin Durant is good enough to be the best player in any given seven game series. And the longer you get into the playoffs, the more that matters. Um, but you know, I, I would say that they are clearly, clearly, clearly on a second. Uh, second tier now, borderline third tier in the Eastern Conference, and so their 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 chances are slim to none. Dallas, I don't get this move for them at all. They take away a ton of defensive versatility here. Um, they hurt their depth. Uh, Kyrie Irving being available isn't a guarantee. Uh, Kyrie Irving wanting to play for them is not a guarantee. So this is a, a very, very tricky situation now. And I'm assuming that they did it to, to as a gesture of goodwill to Luca, so that he continues to uh, be satisfied with his home in Dallas, because that's kind of the most important thing for that franchise long-term is keeping him, um, you know, kind of plan a stay in Dallas. Um, but this doesn't really improve their chances a ton to me. <laughs> this is this is a flawed team in every way, shape, or form, uh, and I don't think uh, I'm I'm not I don't think they match up well against some of the other teams that are realistically going to be contending out of the West either. Now that they've made this move, so this was a this was a little bit of a lose lose in my mind. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I think we're a little bit apart on this. I do think that Dallas now. Look, I wouldn't have made the trade if I'm Dallas because I wouldn't want a part to be a part of the Kyrie Irving uh, <laughs> business. And more to the point, potentially staking Luka Doncic's future with your franchise on Kyrie Irving. I think that's probably a poor bet to make. Um, <laughs> it's a bad part, At the same time, I do think that uh, Luka, Kyrie, Christian Wood, and two shooters might be the greatest offense of all time. Like, it's just that good. Uh, it might be the 27th-ranked defense as well. And I don't think they're getting out of the West when they're probably going to have to do it playing minimum two series on the road. Yeah. Uh, there's been, since we got on here, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski has tweeted out that the deal hasn't been made official yet, not because there's any holdup with terms of Kyrie backing out of the trade or anything, uh, but it looks like the Nets are trying to work in a third team and that third team looks like it is the Toronto Raptors. Uh, and so that's what that's where it becomes interesting to me is that I don't think the Nets are going to trade Durant. I don't think that that just comes about in, what, four or five days. That's just that's so difficult to be able to get together. Uh, I do think that they will try and add another piece to try and win the title this year. Hmm. And I think that if they can get Fred Van Vliet or OG Ananobi and keep you know Dinwiddie, DFS, to go with Durant, Claxton, they're not going to be able to move Simmons, so whatever upside there is left in him, probably not much at this point. You imagine Fred Van Vliet or OG Ananobi on this team alongside those guys. One, perhaps the best defense in the league. And yeah. then two, you have Kevin Durant uh, and OG Ananobi's not a great offensive player. I think Van Vliet would be the better fit there. But all of a sudden, I think that team is super interesting in the East if they had another piece. If, the, if this is just the Nets team as is, then they can't win the title this year. I don't. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's we're we're in complete agreement there. Oh, I didn't hear that any of the buzz about Toronto maybe getting involved. If the Nets got Van Vliet, that doesn't move the needle a ton for me. Uh, if the Nets got Anobi, then you are right. You could have the best defense in the playoffs. And that would be pretty that would be pretty darn exciting. I mean, I, we've never seen Kevin Durant win with a team like that. Um, and that would be that would be fascinating. I think Durant is kind of I don't want to say Durant is Jimmy Butler a lot because Kevin Durant's had a better career and is probably a better player overall than Jimmy Butler. But Durant has another gear in the playoffs, which I think is more extreme than most players. The same with Butler, where Butler goes from being an all-star level player to an MVP level player in the playoffs. Durant has another gear. And I always think back to that Milwaukee series where he really almost beat Milwaukee by himself, just with good defense. And then the offense was just him. And I think even Fred Van Vliet, if it's Van Vliet, Durant, DFS, Dinwiddie, Claxton, you've still got, I mean, they're going to have to move some salaries. Um, but all of a sudden, like, that's a pretty interesting team, I think. Yeah. Uh, in the East, where to me, the only terrifying team in the East is Boston. Obviously, Milwaukee is scary and Philly and maybe scary. Not against that team, though. I would take the Nets in the series against that Bucks team. That, that, that kind of setup there that we just laid out, if they are in the Bucks in the second round to go to the Eastern Conference Finals, I'm on the Nets. Yeah. I, uh, I don't necessarily disagree with that. If they get Van Fleet around Anobi, I, uh, as I was boarding a plane yesterday, uh, as, this trade, as this trade went down, I kind of I panic bet the, uh, the Nets 25 to 1 to win the title <laughs> uh, and then immediately kind of regret it on the plane, but now feel good about it again. <laughs> I think they're going to make another move. Just because I thought the trading for Dinwiddie and DFS, one, mitigates some of the loss of Irving, and then I thought also signaled that they were going to make another move by getting this other pick. And I think with another move, all of a sudden, they're a kind of a tier one contender potentially. So definitely one to monitor. I think the other repercussions betting-wise from this are, one, I think Phoenix are probably maybe the most likely team in the league. Well, I think they are the most likely team in the league to make a move now that it's public that Chris Paul and Jay Crowder uh, were in that deal for Irving. I think there's a... Uh, 98% chance Jay Crowder gets traded for something that will help that team this year. Yep. Uh, I tweeted it out yesterday, but the Suns were an amazing bet at plus 390 for the Pacific Division. We talked about that a week ago as well, yep. that Suns and the Warriors were the horses to go to war with in that division. Obviously not foreseeing Steph Curry going down. And now I think the Suns, I would make them the favorite uh, in yep. that division, which the rest of the market still has them third for the most part in the Pacific Division. Um also, I think that this this dooms Luka Doncic for MVP. I don't think he had a very tough path anyway, but I think his only path was like comic book stats, uh, insane usage and dragging the Mavericks to a three seed by himself. Now with Kyrie, I think Luka's counting stats probably go down. And even if they do get to the three seed, he won't get all of the credit because Kyrie dilutes it a bit. Do you agree with that? That now it kind of feels like MVP is just Jokic versus Embiid with Jokic the favorite? Could not agree with you more. Yep. RIP uh, Luca MVP bid. Um, I don't know, man. Dude, the idea of seeing Kyrie and Luca on the same offense is exciting, but also, like, in what way does this work long term? I just don't know, man. Uh, uh, I'm just excited because Luca, like, I. I find it really tough watching Mavericks games. I don't enjoy watching the Mavs. I don't enjoy watching Luka Ball. I thought it was kind of painful in the playoffs where even though they were getting results and they have the amazing win against Phoenix, just clear out for Luka, watch him cook, and then watch 
Reggie Bullock take pull-up threes. Like, it's just not that exciting. And now to be able to get Kyrie Irving and just to... To me, it's most interesting for what it does for Luka Doncic uh, and whether it makes him fun to watch Boston because he should be because he's one of the most talented players we've ever seen. I just don't like that team at all. And now I think look, there is a lot of stuff swirling around that team. Looks like they might deal Christian Wood. They might do some other stuff. Uh, so they are, they're definitely interesting. Um, Drew, before we head out, I've got a question about plays for tonight in the association for you. What's on tap? Uh, only one uh, in bettable range as, as as we get closer to tip here, and it is the OKC Thunder outright against the Golden State Warriors. I think I like this that. is uh, wrong team <laughs> favored, which is crazy insane to say with this matchup, especially in this time of the calendar. If you told me at the beginning of the year I would be saying that out loud, I would say you're crazy, but uh, I make this game almost to pick them. So happy to take the points with the Thunder. Yep. I like that. I uh, I bet some one. I bet a lot of Warriors plus three fifty to miss the playoffs in the past twenty four hours. Ooh. I bet a lot of Thunder to make the play in at plus three fifty as well. They're like a game back. Yes. Um, they've got the easiest schedule in the league remaining. Um, before we go, Drew, I want to throw two things at you quickly. Two bets that I made yesterday. Giannis and Ketakumpo, Defensive Player of the Year, is thirty three to one. The Bucks are this close the number one defense in the league. Now that his defensive stats are lapping Brooke Lopez. Uh, and I think with Jaron's minutes and the Grizzlies having a little bit of a weird slide, like why aren't they winning games at the moment? Don't really understand that. I think there's a path for Giannis. And then secondly, Jalen Brunson is averaging like 30 points a game since the start of January uh, and has increased his scoring by seven points per game on a New York team that now looks like it's really going to push for the sixth seed. And he's 40 to one to win most improved player. So what do you think of those two? They're both very, very, very live. Those are way too, way too long. None of the awards, none of the other than MVP, where we have a clear two, two, two player race. Now, I think every other award is in, um, rookie of the year. Obviously, Paolo is you know he's a god. But uh, every every other award, I think we could see favorite flipped in the next month. <laughs> and it could happen a couple times before we get to the end. So I am all about shopping for some big prices. Uh, Brunson, most improved player. Because again, like if if the Jazz are not in the play-in, if the Jazz are not, if they're not in the playoffs, if they're in the play-in, people are going to be like, I don't know if I really want to vote for a Jazz guy when, you know, he, Jalen Brunson, he's, he's gotten the Knicks to the sixth seed, right? Like that would be a case people will make. Um, yeah. You could absolutely flip those two at the top, especially if, you know, you know either guy could you know, see their per, their performance slip. Back, you know, regress a little back to what we remember, and if they don't finish the season on a hot note, then uh, then they are ripe to be uh, to be have their pocket picked in this market. So, yeah, Brunson's live. Yep, he's. Uh, I mean, he's averaging close to thirty a game since the start of January. He's doing it on just insane minutes and insane usage, which I think is actually going to sustain because they're going to be pushing for the playoffs. And Tibbs just doesn't care. Like Tibbs yeah. just doesn't care. He's going to play his guys till they break. It's what he's always done. Uh, and so I think that like Brunson trending towards averaging 25 a game for the season yeah. after he averaged 16 a game last season. His inc- assists have increased by like 1.4 assists per game. His efficiency is basically static, even with the increased usage from last year. And I think if you just do like price it out from, you know, what are the odds that the Knicks get the top six seed and both OKC and Utah miss the play in? Like yeah. that's, not, that's not 40 to one. It's not not even twenty to one, I don't think. So 
I think yeah. that's uh, that's the approach. And I think in that situation, if Brunson's averaging 25 a game, then I think he probably just wins if that unfolds. Yeah. The only teeny tiny thing working against Brunson is that people have maybe re-anchored how good he was because of his playoff run last year. Yeah. If they're just looking at real regular season last year to this year, it's eye-popping. Uh, but if you consider how good he was in the playoffs, then you're like, you kind of already expected this from him maybe. So that's maybe the only thing that could hurt him. But I agree with you 100%. If we're rewarding teams for overperformance, blah, 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 uh, we don't want to give an award to a most improved player on a team that did not or just barely made the play in uh, as opposed to a Knicks team that could be in cleanly. So, I, and yeah, I mean, watching Brunson's games, I watched, watched him last week against the Lakers. You know, he was getting, he got 24 through the like two and a half quarters. Wasn't really even sweating. Like he's, yep. he's, he's finding a shot in many different ways. He's getting it early and often. Uh, I think 30 is a realistic expectation for him coming in and coming out of the all-star break. Yeah. He's, uh, I mean, yeah, offensively, he is a star player. He's not very good defensively and that drags down his advanced numbers, but I think voters care about defense and most improved player. <laughs> Uh, yeah. As much, and also, if Brian Dable's Coach of the Year search taught us anything, it's that you want to find him to a fringe New York case because there's always going to be a bump on that front. All right, we are done. Don't forget to check out NBCSportsEdge.com for more information to help you with your wages. Thanks for those watching on the NBC Sports YouTube channel, and if you're listening to us in podcast form. Don't forget to subscribe and rate us. Thanks again, Sam Monson, who you can follow at PFF underscore Sam on Twitter from Jay Croucher and Drew Dinsick. We'll be back tomorrow. NetCredit is here to say yes to a personal loan or line of credit when other lenders say no. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partner. NetCredit. Credit to the people. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.